If you have your Bible with you, or if you have your phone with you, um, turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to read from Philippians um, chapter 3, verse 1, through to chapter 4, verse 1. So Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I long and love for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Let's pray together. Father God, as we look at this part of the Bible, we ask that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, please reassure us of the truth of the gospel. And Lord, please challenge us to live with Jesus as our King. 
We pray in his name. Amen. A few weeks ago, um, Reich gave his first sermon here at KPC, and he took us through Psalm 2. And I think if you were at Ant Street, you've probably heard a very similar sermon some stage last year. But Psalm 2 is a psalm that urges all of us to pledge our allegiance to King Jesus, the Messiah. As a way of um, getting us thinking about our allegiance, Reich shared how he and Christine became Australian citizens and the commitment that they made as they became Australian citizens. So that means underneath their German accents, they're Australian. And that means Josiah, he's going to grow up with a broad Australian accent and a Queensland suntan and a much, much, much better appreciation of cricket and rugby than either of his parents. There are advantages in being an Australian citizen. Lots of South Africans will tell you what they are. I mean, you, you get to be able to vote or you get fined if you don't. You could become a politician. There's, there's all sorts of advantages with becoming a citizen. I'm sure Reich and Christine can share why they did it. Why am I talking about citizenship? Well, because it's mentioned in this passage, isn't it? If you look at 3 verse 20, Philippians 3 verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven. The apostle is talking about himself. He's talking about his mission partners. He's talking about the Philippian Christians that he's writing this letter to. And what he says is true of all Christians. Our citizenship is in heaven. We've pledged allegiance to King Jesus, just as Psalm 2 urges us to. And so now our citizenship is in heaven. He says in 3 verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. As Christians, we are followers of Christ. It's in our name. Christians, we are followers of Christ. Um, Christ in Greek is the word for Messiah, the word for the anointed or for the king, God's appointed king. Um, Christ isn't a surname. It's a title. Jesus Christ means Jesus the king. And the Lord kind of doubles up on all that, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, if you look back into chapter 2 of Philippians, you'll see there what Jesus is king over. So if you look at that hymn or song in chapter 2, verses 9 to 11, it says, Therefore God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, is King, to the glory of God the Father. As people who have pledged our allegiance to Jesus, people who have repented, become followers of Jesus, we now live as citizens of his kingdom. We are citizens of heaven. Um, and our citizenship in heaven, it trumps everything else, even your Australian citizenship. It's even bigger and better and more lasting than that. The part of the Bible that we're looking at today, it's part of the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippian Christians. And a couple of weeks ago, we dipped into Acts chapter 16. In Acts 16, you get an account of the way Paul and his mission partners brought the gospel to the town of Philippi. Um, the opposition they met, the response that they had. And as you look at Acts chapter 16, you can glean through there that Roman citizenship was important in Philippi. Uh, the Roman Empire was vast. It extended across the Adriatic, around the Mediterranean, all the way out to Jerusalem. Though the Philippians didn't live in Rome itself, 
if they were Roman citizens, it had huge value to them. And as the Philippians read chapter 3, verse 20, they would have understood what Paul means when he says your citizenship is in heaven. You may not be in heaven with God now, but that is where you belong. That is where your status and your citizenship is. Back in 3, verse 20, they eagerly await the return of Jesus, their saviour and king. Up until then, they await all the privileges of their citizenship. And so through this letter, Paul's been urging the Philippians to live in a way that's worthy of being citizens of heaven. Or as he says it in chapter 1, verse 27, citizens of the gospel. Um, We've said that 1 verse 27 is the key verse in this letter. It says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And a more plain translation would be, live as worthy citizens of the gospel of Christ Jesus. What does it mean to live as worthy citizens of the, of the, of the, of the gospel or of the kingdom of heaven? Well, that's what we've been looking at in Philippians. You just roll your eyes through. So from 1 verse 27 to verse 30, if you're living as worthy citizens, you'll be standing united as you contend and defend the, the faith of the gospel. Down in 2 verses 1 to 5, he wants them to live in a way that shows they appreciate all that they already have in Jesus and in the gospel. Um, and if they are living in a way that is worthy of being citizens of heaven, it will show in the way that they treat other people, being other person-centred, and the way that they work towards being like-minded. Then in 2 verses 6 to 11, he wants them to have the same mind as Jesus. And 2 verse 12, Paul wants them to work out or to outwork their salvation, to live in a way that is consistent with being citizens of heaven. And if they do that in 2.15, they'll shine like stars in the world. But all that that is from previous sermons, where in chapter 3, in 3 verse 20, Paul declares that Christians are citizens of heaven. And though you don't fully enjoy all the privileges yet, Paul says he's looking forward to the coming of our Saviour and King. And at that point, our bodies will be transformed. So if you look at 3 verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that we'll be like his glorious body. As Christians, we have this sure hope of the future. It's like this hope of participating in the resurrection that Jesus has already experienced, hope of sharing in his resurrection. And as you look back through this chapter, you'll see echoes of that. But as you reflect back over everything Paul says, in the rest of today's passage, you'll see he hasn't become a citizen for the health benefits. He hasn't become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven so that he'll have a new body. Look at verse 20 again. Our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await our saviour. He eagerly awaits, longs to see Jesus, eagerly waits for Jesus to return because, yes, when Jesus returns... Paul will enjoy the resurrection, but more importantly, he'll be with Jesus. It's all about knowing Jesus, meeting Jesus, being with Jesus, living with Jesus. Once you recognise that in verse 20, you'll see that's been all the way through this chapter, This the importance to Paul about knowing Jesus. What matters to Paul is knowing Jesus, and that's what matters to every Christian. Um, you know what it's like when you meet someone and you 
uh, want to see them again and get to know them a little bit more, you'd spend more time together. You might um, start eating the same kind of food, doing the same sort of stuff in your free time. It's all part of getting to know the person. It's not just head knowledge. You don't just know about the person in your head. You, know, you experience relationship with them. You get to know them as a person. You share similar experiences, start doing the same things, enjoying the same experiences. Um, on Friday, Lyndall and I had another wedding anniversary. And I can honestly say that um, meeting Lyndall changed my life. Four kids later, everything's different to living in a house with four other uni students. But what I'm trying to get at is we understand what it means to get to know someone relationally, to share our life with them. When we were in growth group on Thursday night with the men looking at this passage, thinking about what Paul is saying through this passage, that's the territory he's in. He wants to know Jesus. It's more than just head knowledge. Um, Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus. You can read about that in Acts chapter 9. That meeting changed Paul's life. He was the near-perfect Jew. He had everything in Jewishness. You look at his credentials, they're listed there in this chapter in 3 verses 5 to 6, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. We have all these nasty thoughts about Pharisees because we've read the New Testament, but in their day, the Pharisees were upright. They knew the Bible. Verse 6, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Paul was the near-perfect Jew. He had all the credentials to be the perfect Hebrew. And then in 3 verse 7, meeting Jesus changed everything. 3 verse 7, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. That's why he's hanging on, awaiting the return of his saviour, awaiting for Jesus, because there's nothing more important to Paul than knowing Jesus. And it's in that context that you get this huge warning, which arguably is what this passage is about. We've come at it back around the other way, but there's this warning to the Philippians not to follow after people who put their confidence in their earthly citizenship is in effect what he's saying. Not to have their confidence in their status or their race or their ability or their achievements. You see the warning in 3 verse 2. He says, watch out for those dogs. And in the Greek it says, watch out again. Watch out for those evildoers. Watch out for those mutilators of the flesh. Three repeats of the same warning underlining the emphasis. Watch out for these dogs, these evildoers, these mutilators of the flesh. And you're thinking, who on earth are these people? I think verse 3 un unlocks it for you. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, we who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Paul is warning the Philippians against people that put their confidence in the flesh and in particular it would seem people who put their confidence in keeping Jewish practices, including that of, of circumcision, um, because people are putting their confidence in their status, in their Jewishness. Um, circumcision had an important place under the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant. It was a sign of the covenant. It was a sign of the promise that God made to Abraham. And so um, Jewish boys or Hebrew boys were marked with this cutting off of a bit of a skin, this circumcision, as a reminder of the covenant with Abraham. Strange practice, you might think. But I wonder if every time a Jewish male went to have kids as a reminder of that promise, Abraham will become a great nation. 
that covenant. But that's a sermon for another day. The point is there were people who thought that being Jewish, having that circumcision made them somehow better in God's eyes and they were going to come to the Philippians and say that they needed to be circumcised to be more Christian or to be more acceptable to God. And Paul's warning is against putting their confidence in those things, in the flesh, in our achievements, in our way of being right in God's eyes. The only way to be righteous, the only way to be right in God's eyes is to what Jesus has already completed on the cross, his death and his victory, his resurrection. That's how we become right with God, by trusting in what Jesus has done. And so in 3 verse 4, Paul launches into this sarcasm as he spells out all that he might put his confidence in, his circumcision on the eighth day, the fact that he's for people of Israel, that he's a tribe of Benjamin and so on. In verse 7, he says he considers all that loss. In verse 8, he says he considers it all garbage, which is a very polite translation for a colloquial word along the lines of sewage. Paul considers all his achievements complete loss for the sake of knowing Christ. So read verse 9 again. And to be found in him, in Jesus, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Jesus' death and resurrection are the means by which we can be declared righteous, right with God. Back in chapter 2, verses 6 to 11, we can read about the actions Jesus went to, took. Um, In verses 6 to 8, he humbly obeyed, becoming a, a man, being obedient in life like we can never be, dying the death that we deserve to die. And then in 2, verses 9 to 11, God the Father exalted Jesus as Lord over everything. Being right with God is not something that we can do. It's not something we can earn. It's not something that we can demand of God. It's not something we can deserve at all. We can only ask for it. Righteousness, being right with God, is God's gift to us. It's a gift God gives to people who pledge their allegiance to Jesus. People who acknowledge, I'm sorry for ignoring you, God. I know I deserve your punishment, but thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his death in my place. Um, Think about the implications of what Paul's saying. In 50, almost... 50, not quite 50 years, in a very long period of time, I don't think I've ever come across anyone who's tried to insist that I become circumcised. I don't think I've ever come across anyone who's tried to insist that I practice Jewish holy days. But I have come across people who have tried to insist that I receive the gift of speaking in tongues, to be a real Christian. I've come across people who wanted me to be baptised in their church, their way to be a genuine Christian. I've had my own moments where I've wondered if I really can be forgiven. All of those things put point to putting confidence in something other than Jesus and his death and resurrection in our place. The trap is to put confidence in yourself in your own flesh, in your own ability to earn favour with God. But to put it bluntly, when you die, when you stand before God, and this is a a hypothetical scenario, but if God were to ask, why should I let you into heaven? If you start by saying, because I did anything, 
that's not going to be what God wants to hear. We need to say because of what Jesus has done. Because I repented and wanted to live for Jesus. That's all that matters. Um, For a number of years while I was growing up, I tried to live kind of a performance-based Christianity, tried to be a better Christian, a better little Christian boy. It took quite some time to work out that actually that's not how this thing works. We are sinful, broken people. We trust in Jesus' death in our place. Being a Christian means um, living with Jesus as our Lord, our King and our Saviour, the one who took our punishment for us. So Reich and Christine, they know that having Josiah baptised today doesn't make him a Christian, doesn't earn him status in God's eyes. Their prayer is that God will continue to work in Josiah and bring him to a point where he will take on the same faith, the same allegiance that they share with their trust in Jesus. So the warning back in chapter 3, verse 2, it's a warning against putting confidence in the flesh. And you'll see that same warning come back in verse 18. For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. And then our verse, verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Christians are citizens of heaven. What matters to us as Christians is knowing Jesus and living for him. And there's one more point in the sermon outline. Part of knowing Jesus involves becoming like him. Like as you get to know any person, you become like them to some degree. Part of knowing Jesus is become like him, specifically becoming like him in being prepared to suffer, to see others join the kingdom of heaven. Making Jesus known is important to us as Christians. Back in 1 verse 27, when Paul told the Philippians to live as citizens worthy of the gospel of Jesus, he says he'll know they are when they're standing firm and when they're contending for the gospel. Um, Down in 1 verse 29, he says, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. And so when people oppose us because we are Christian, when people oppose us because we hold out the gospel and speak the gospel uh, plainly, when we're persecuted on that basis, we're suffering for Christ. We're suffering for the same cause as Christ. We're joining Christ in his suffering. You can use that kind of language. As you look at Paul's life, he's been suffering for the sake of the gospel. In 1 verse 21, he says he's prepared to die for Jesus and the gospel. In 2 verse 17, he says he's been poured out like a drink offering. He's motivated to see these Philippians and others around Christ on that last day. His joy in 2 verse 2 is that the Philippians will be living in a way that's worthy of the gospel of Jesus. In 4 verse 1, they are his joy. They are his crown. You can see how important to Paul it is to see others know Christ. And all of that kind of anticipates what he talks about in verse 10. So in verse 10, he goes, I want to know Christ. Yes to know the power of his resurrection, which he will know when Jesus returns. This this now but not yetness follows through these verses. He wants to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I take it what Paul's saying is um, part of knowing Jesus is to go through the same struggles that come with wanting to see others know Jesus. And then he says in verse 11, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead, I don't think that's undermining his confidence in his salvation. I think it's more along along the lines of the outworking 
of being a citizen of heaven, that kind of wanting to live in a way that's worthy. I think it's a humble declaration there in verse 11. Um, But that tension continues um, through these verses. Verse 12 says he's not already attained his goal, but verse 16 urges them to live up to what they've already attained. There is this now but not yet happening. Verses 13 to 14, I think it's describing his efforts to outwork his salvation by suffering for the sake of seeing others come to know Jesus. And then he calls on uh, the Philippians to follow his example. So in verse 15, or is it 17, he says, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, just as you have us as a model. Keep out your eyes on those who live as we do. I think he's saying, follow the example of those who make sacrifices to make Jesus known. And so you look back across the passage here, we've come at it from different angles this morning, but he's saying Christians are citizens of heaven. What matters to us is knowing Jesus and what matters to us is making Jesus known. Today, Reich and Christine have publicly declared their faith in Jesus. They've asked us to pray with them that Josiah would grow up to know Jesus and it would bring great joy to them and to me to know that each of us here are living with Jesus as our Lord and our Saviour. So I'm going to pray that we would be. And if you want to talk about any of this, please talk to Ruck and Christine. They would love to talk to you more. And so would I. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we know that in so many ways we're not worthy of you. We know that we so easily ignore you and we live our lives like you don't exist. But, Father, we thank you for not forgetting us. Thank you for sending Jesus to become a man. Thank you for the way that he died to take our punishment for us, for rebelling against you. Thank you for raising Jesus to life again as ruler over all. Lord, please forgive us. Please change us to live as your citizens. We pray that we would know the resurrection that Jesus is already enjoying. We pray that we would be living in a way that is worthy of all that you've done for us in Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen.